It's happening again. Welcome to Work Cookie, a CBOT podcast. As we broadcast around the world, get bite-sized morsels and tidbits from our industrial organizational psychologists, other experts, and the latest research on the workplace to boost your organization's effectiveness. Sign up now at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from our experts. Don't forget to check out our corporate career boost recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. Hello, this is Dr. Jeremy Lookaball, workplace communication and negotiation coach, as well as industrial organizational psychology consultant. In addition to seabock.com that you just heard, you can also visit my website at termboot.com. Also on the panel today, we have Trip Braden of Strategic Performance Partners. Trip's an executive coach, leadership team advisor, and the 2021 one of the top 30 global diversity and inclusion influencers. Also, we have Tom Bradshaw, voice and speech coach and a damn good actor at that. He is the leading voice and speech coach for the industrial organizational psychology community. So I think that managers to conquer tough workplace conversations should first, and without explanation here, yet stay away from problem solving mode label feelings of the situation little and uh, little should come as a full surprise to the managers when a tough conversation comes up. And I also think that another reason why they shouldn't come as a full surprise is because managers should be bringing up conversations first and asking these uh, open-ended questions that are digging in just a little bit to the root of small problems before they become big problems. So Trip, let's say you, on a potential response for that. Well, it's interesting because I think you brought up a number of important points. And I think it's understanding that a lot of times as managers, you're incremental. So you have to build relationships with people and it doesn't happen just by because being their manager. So I think that that those are one of the critical elements you shared, I thought was interesting. The other part of that was I've always believed investing first, right? So part of that is investing and understanding that person better uh, as a manager. Now, I know sometimes you have large teams of people, but I think it's possible uh, to, do, to do this. And part of that is understanding that's part of your job. And it's as much as part of your job is reading and meeting objectives for the company. Because I think really the one thing I learned out of working with Gallup for all these years is that people consistently tell us that they leave because of their manager. And I actually think it's because they feel abandoned. And I think if you have managers, and I have a number of sales managers I've coached over the years, who are really good at influencing people. They're very good at connecting with people, but they're terrible at follow-up. And their people and their disconnects typically came from that gap. The gap was, hey, I really thought he was all about me and helping me, uh, but ultimately when I needed him most, he wasn't there. So I think that means to me, we got to become better managers. And we've got to also understand as a manager, part of our role is our, our interaction with our people as much as it is about getting the numbers that the upper management want us to get. And it's a balancing act. You know, I always told people I'm a remover of barriers for you when I was a manager. That's my job. I remove the barriers. So help me understand what the barriers are. But be willing to jump in if you see something. Uh, this is where intuition uh, is, is critical. And it's, it's visually based intuition. It's not based on really things we don't understand. But we need to be good at watching people's performances and looking for clues. 
So that would be my comment is I think understanding inherently that the people in the system we're working in need to feel connected. And second off, don't make it something methodical or, or methodology. Oh, I'm going to do it this mechanical way. Find your own voice. Every person I've ever worked with has their own voice and how they work with people. Get comfortable with your own and then learn how to optimize it. So thank you, Jeremy. I love that. Get comfortable with your own and then feel how to optimize it. Look out for, look out for those clues and be able to, to jump right in, let things happen. Um, you know, don't be robotic about it. I love that. Let's go over to Linda Ann. Linda Ann, you're so great with the timing of the hand raising because I say your name and all of a sudden that hand goes up. It's just perfect synergy between us. So Linda Ann, what do you have to say? I, I think that it's, um, my mind went blank for a second there, but um, I wanted to to pick, oh pick up on um, what Trip said. And again, I I totally um, saw my management style as one who got things out of the way because that was the way to facilitate the whole team's success. But I think that um, when you're a manager, not only do you need to find your own voice and 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 method but need to understand that you if you have eight different employees that you're managing you may need to use a different technique on every one of them to get them to um reach their potential on on those so really it's not just a one size fits all and i think good managers really need to understand i need to be a little more structured with this person and I need to be a little bit more coaching on this person and I need to just find what the goals are for that person. So I, it's important to understand that it's different for every person you're working with and you need to understand that about the person. Um, that's part of the art of management. So that's, that's my comment. And I am beautiful. Thank you. Let's go to Angelo for thoughts, response or question. Yeah. A lot of this, you know, brings me back to uh, the concept of building psychological safety within your teams or within an organization so that people, you know, it's intentional, encouraging people to speak up, encouraging some of that, um, some of that, <laughs> some of that healthy conflict, right? How do you bring up um, opposite opinions? How do you bring up conflict in a healthy way? And how do you address those things? I feel like a lot of times as, you know, people move into management roles, they're just expected to teach the people below you how you did it, right? How were you successful in that role previously? And that's not necessarily what being a good manager is. You're teaching them how they can do that job a little bit. Well, Linda Ann was saying, right? You're, you're working with each individual and trying to find their strengths and talents that and pulling those out of them and then showing them how that they can apply that within their role. And you know, it's always easier said than done, but I feel like when you build that culture of psychological safety and you have someone who's comfortable speaking up or speaking out, maybe with a process and procedure or just even how things are conducted, you're really going to open up opportunity for more creativity to come into the room. But you, know, you do have to do it in some in a, in a framework that doesn't just kind of go off into the woods every time. Angelo, thank you. Thank you. As always, let's go. Tom, you made it back in. Good to see you back. <laughs> I finally did. Awesome. Yeah, phone troubles. Sorry about that. Great. Uh, go ahead, lead for a little while, Jeremy, and then I'll jump in. Sounds like a plan. 
Linda Ann, let's go back to your, I see your hand is up. I don't know if that was from previous. No, I had, had something to, to add to, to Angelo when he's br brought up, you know, talking about um, having conflict and, and with, within the teams and, and things like that. The more diverse your team is, which we're aiming for, right, um, the more potential there is for conflict. I've worked within organizations where the, some hiring managers would hire only people just like them, same profiles, everything. And and that might be uh, um, make it easier to manage, but I don't think it gives you the strongest team. So what is important to understand as a manager is the more diverse your team is, the more opportunity there is for differing views and healthy conflict. And so really learning how to develop the mutual respect between each other's strengths on your team is a is really key as a, as a good manager to make sure that you don't have to they understand that you don't have to agree or see things the certain, certain same way but that those that person is really good at what they do and they they provide an important piece and so developing that healthy respect between team members i think is a real skill that managers going forward need to understand and develop healthy respect between managers and team members couldn't say it better um let's go to trip and then tom um, throwing it back to you for moderation you know i think i love what linda linda ann had to say i think part of this is idea but the other way of setting it up and we're talking about how do we do this um manage these kinds of conversations i think you have to preset the table I actually think that starts at the beginning of the interview process. If you're going to be at an organization that has some conflict in it, and I have a number of clients who are like that, that are very aggressive people. I think of Larry Ellison at Oracle when he was there, when I worked with them. Very aggressive company. So whenever I had to bring somebody into the organization. Trip, are you still with us? I think we might have lost Trip there for a little bit. Uh, Angela, let's go over to you. Yeah, just kind of to piggyback off that, I think when, you know, with the increase of diversity that a lot of businesses are aiming for does include the differing views. And I think that puts an emphasis on probably where Trip was going with identifying, you know, what are the commonalities? What are the goals? What's the mission? What's the values of these organizations? And I feel like if you have a good sense of that and your workforce has a good sense of that, it's easier to make things not as personable, right? You're not really coaching or managing or supervising the individual and their personality or how it is. It's really, how are they operating within this construct of here's our company, here's our mission, here's our goals. And now as your individual, how are you contributing and helping us move toward that? And then coaching them again, right? With their strengths and, and helping them to, to see that so they can, you know, make it personal for themselves, increase that engagement on um, all of those things, hopefully. Thanks very much. Trip. are you back with us? I think we're still missing Trip. Uh, so anyone else who'd like to join the conversation, please raise your hand and come on up. Jeremy. Yeah, I just wanted to, to welcome Lori, Laura and Stephanie. Stephanie, um, as you're getting your MS, you might have some interesting things to contribute here with your experience working with um, franchises and working with multiple teams. And it looks like there's some a lot of training that's involved with that, too. And also to welcome Laura. Laura, it looks like we're in the same area of, of the country. We might have gone to Penn State together. 
and um, very familiar with Westchester. I have some friends who graduated from Westchester, and Laura has a ton of experience with recruiting, talent strategy, um, internal communications, and engagement. So lots of lots of interesting experience there, along with that uh, that master's in, in industrial organizational psychology. So welcome, 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 and Tom, back over to you. Thank you, Jeremy. And please come up and share your thoughts with us. Trip, are you back with us? I am now. Do <laughs> you want to finish out. your thoughts? Yeah, it's there are. No, there I, does I, seem to be some issues. Well, Go ahead. I, I have nothing else to say at this point. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah, I can hear you um, fine. Okay, I was saying. I, I think what I was saying when I got bumped off is I just was saying we have to check check our expectations out when we talk to people, and secondarily uh, understand. I think if somebody tells you that, look, they're going to talk to you tough at times and they're going to share rough things at times and there's going to be some conflict at times because we want to get the best performance out of you in your life. Uh, I think people are more than willing to go along with that. But you just can't be like that if you haven't already preset the conversation and help them better understand what's going on. And it has to go both ways. You know, I'm a huge champion at this stage of my life to say, look, if you're going to say we're going to have tough conversations and conflict, I've got to be willing to manage conflict when it comes my way versus me creating it. Because I think the other part we're not talking about is a great manager sometimes creates conflict. And then I think of Andy Grove that creates the conflict and sets the cultural tone about creating conflict. So I think that's part of what we have to do is let people know that. That's all I have to say. Well, that's a great point, Tripp. And that, that sort of was in the direction that my mind was going with. Maybe I'm going to throw this to you, back to you, Jeremy, but we're not talking about eliminating tough conversations that c tough conversations are not always negative. They can actually lead to a positive. Tom, I got to say in terms of a moderating technique, I absolutely love what you do because you'll say, I'm going to throw it to you and then you'll continue to, to provide a little bit of runway for the, for the person to gather their thought. So you let me know that I'm, I'm next, which gives me about five seconds to run as you continue to, to, to speak rather than just throwing it. It's absolutely, you've got a knack. Thank you for what you do. I just wanted to give you some huge kudos for that. And of course, as I say that and I'm speaking, I, I forget what the question is because I'm uh, stepping over <laughs> myself here. <laughs> Tom, uh, ask my kudos, get away my thought process. Ducks, so run it by me again, Tom, would you? Sure. I'm. Don't give him more runway. Stop, stop giving him runway. <laughs> <laughs> it's your runway or the ducks anyway my my question was more like we're not talking about eliminating tough conversations gotcha. that tough conversations happen and actually they can benefit us at the workplace yeah the tough conversation that, that's what you want you you want some friction just like you want some stress the a complete elimination of stress does nobody any good in their lives. It does no organization any good. There is them at, and I mean, this is, you can look at all the studies you want and, and see what I'm talking about. You need some level of stress in order to be effective and in order to be productive. I mean, think of, um, is it the, is it the, the scallop and, and that's how that you get the, that pearl. Cause I know oysters in the pearls, right? But I think it's actually the scallops that, that have the bigger ones. But they have to have friction. It creates sand. And only through that sand, the only way that a pearl develops is because of the sand, because it's the juices and, and, and the uh, crustacean that create what actually creates the pearl. And those juices don't get going until you have the sand. Same thing with life. We, we need that friction. 
And once you can start to have the, these critical conversations, until you can have critical conversations, you're not going to really be seeing things in different perspectives. And if we go through our entire lives, could you imagine if you looked at everything the same way you did when you were 15, at 20, when you were 30, when you're 30, the same way you did at 20, when you're 50, if you looked at the same thing, world the same way at 20, we'd be in, we'd be in bad shape if we didn't learn and grow and see things from different perspectives. So these, the conversations and the stress are, are very important and the critical conversations are good. And that's why I think managers should invite the conversations because here's what happened. And I've experienced this firsthand. I've experienced it with those who I coach. These tough conversations in the workplace, the ones that keep people up at night and they don't have them and two weeks go by and a month go by, the very first time you have that most awkward conversation, the next time it's easier and I'm telling you by the third time, it's like nothing. It's nothing. I'll give a personal example. I was do I was working on a training program. In my particular, I, I'm I'm the kind of person that if I'm if I'm doing a training, because of my thought processes and the way my brain works, it's easier for me to not have to not do it a dual facilitate, not dual facilitate a particular training while in person standing in front of a room because I like to control the energy in the room. I like to pay attention to the energy dips and do all these different things for effective uh, facilitation management. And having someone else there just throws me off. So I had to have a conversation with my boss once who always wanted to be in the room, who always wanted to co-facilitate with me. And it just wasn't working. And it was this conversation that I put off and all of a sudden I had it. And it was like, it was a great relief because I thought about how to effectively lead that conversation to a, to a place where, um, you know, my boss at the time would, would feel, would leave the conversation feeling energized and good. And so would I, and I actually had to have the conversation again about something similar. And it was like piece of cake. And then after that, uh, my boss and I were able to have these tough conversations, um, almost like it felt like once a month, but they didn't seem tough anymore. So there's a way, and I think that managers should, should start to initiate conversations that are a little on the tough side from time to time because when that really tough conversation comes and it's timely it doesn't go bad it doesn't go wrong because let's face it if you're going to have a tough conversation you've got to uh, there is a level of preparation and mental perspective changing and we've talked about this in other in other episodes in other rooms that that comes with it so it's, it's, again, it's like the BP oil spill. If they would have fixed, fixed the site first, it spent, what, $10,000, I think it was, or even $10 million to fix it. It doesn't matter. They wouldn't have spent the hundreds of billions of dollars to clean up and then lost all the money and then had to do the whole PR thing. So if we spend this little time up front, we save so much time on the back end. It's like finding a good accountant. You can either you can either spend a hundred bucks to get your taxes done, and in the end owe two hundred bucks, or you can spend four hundred dollars to get your taxes done and get back eight hundred. What's the better investment? So if we change our thinking, sometimes it helps 
um, and to, to start to get in these conversations at some point. So next time um, I'm going to throw in this um, response cycle working backward, but it seems like Linda Ann has her hand up. So Linda Ann, what, what say you here? I wanted to just bring up, you know, one of the things that, that this is triggering for me is this uh, a week or two ago, you, you brought up, you know, to, what would you do if you did the opposite kind of thing? And I think that a lot of times people, want to keep things peaceful and smooth, but um, if they follow kind of like that opposite instinct, um, I think it will do two things. I think that it, number one, lends itself to a more creative environment, which so many companies are now trying to figure out how to stimulate, you know, creativity within their organization. But if people don't feel comfortable with those tough conversations or bringing up some different ideas, it's never going to happen. Right. And then the other thing too, I think if it's handled well, if the, then that really is part of a runway to creating the psychological safety that allows for creativity and growth and all those other things. So I think then having those those tough conversations, I think it really is a pathway to um, a really healthy organization. And to respond to that and give a quick example, Linda, and it, it just made me think. So what if you're a manager and somebody and one of your employees comes in and says, listen, I just have to tell you that I don't feel like you've been there for me lately and I'm feeling overlooked and that you don't really care about my success. What's your first response as a manager? Well, uh, you know, I've been trying to X, Y, Z. I've been really busy with X, Y, Z. Uh, and and you, you fall back onto your defensive. But what if you did, like we talked about the other week, that was last week. What if you did the opposite? Instead of becoming defensive, what if you lean forward and say, I'm glad you brought this up. I've noticed something, a different dynamic between the, the, the two of us these past couple of weeks. And it's been bothering me. So I'm glad you brought it up. And then follow that with a really, really important, really good uh, question or phrase to make that pe person feel heard and understood. Sometimes doing the exact opposite can be very, very effective. So Linda Ann, thanks for bringing that up. Tom, back over to you. And Jeremy, I'm wondering if there's anyone in the audience who is maybe going through a place right now where they're about to have a, a tough conversation and want some advice or someone who's just recently gone through one who can maybe share the experience. Uh, Angelo. Um, you had your hand up. Do you want to jump in here? Yeah, I can't remember why I put my hand up, but a lot of these examples, you know, especially with the difficult conversations and and bringing that around. One thing that I've tried to do is, and I think a, a good manager, or anyone over working with anyone else would probably benefit from this is just finding some comfort in that silence too, because you're going to be in some of these meetings and not exactly know what to say and rush to try to fill the air, fill the time, but really just allowing yourself that space to breathe um, and also allow, you know, your team, your employee, whoever you're working with, that that time to collect their thoughts as well, right? You don't always have to fill that air. And I think that's, again, part of that psychological safety is given that room. Thank you very much for that, Angelo. Uh, Brittany, welcome to the stage. You want to unmute your mic and share your thoughts. Yeah, I I want to absolutely hand raise hallelujah to what Angelo just said about quiet moments. Those are so powerful with or without tension in the room. Quiet moments can unveil the deeper truths that we have trouble getting down to.
Um, but since I think it was Tom said, <laughs> if anybody has a hard conversation coming up to bring it to the table. So since you're opening the table for me to ask for advice, um, I have one coming up, I think in the next 24 hours. Um, it's not like a direct employee of mine, but it's a manager for an organization I'm consulting with. Um, I just had a, a hard conversation this morning with one manager that is going to tank our entire project and can this one manager will continue to cause the loss of millions of dollars for this company. So I'm the one, I think, where all the responsibility lies to let the executives know factually and without emotion, but this is where things are and this is the seemingly immovable force. Um, so I think I have to have a really hard conversation with them. And I know it might mean they end up sending me out the door and I'm okay with that. But I also want them to be able to move forward in a healthy way for the whole, com whole company, whether or not I am still working with them. So I am open to any and all advice that people have for a situation like mine. Thank you very much, Brittany, for bringing this up and coming up on stage uh, and posing that question to not only the room, but the panel. Uh, but will you come back next week and tell us how the conversation went? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm open to that. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> so, you know, uh, there's a lot of people on this stage right now that I want to get your opinions on this. Uh, Jeremy, let's start with you. Thanks. I was trying to find... Um... I was trying to find a screenshot to get the, it's, it's a Bible verse and I can't remember exactly which one it is, but the Bible verse is quietness and trust are my greatest strengths. And sometimes I'll say that to myself to fall when I fall asleep at night, just to get myself in that calm. But going back to what Angelo said, what Brittany said, quietness, sometimes that can be the most important thing. And many of you have heard of my uh, six second rule, where when you think it's your turn to talk, just don't. The other person will talk and they'll say the most important thing they've said the entire conversation. It's really pretty beautiful. Reporters do it all the time. But yes, in terms of what Brittany was saying, um, and if anyone finds that Bible verse, let me know. Uh, I can't find where I, where I put it. So Brittany, yeah. So that would be a really good one. Uh, Tom, when we were doing our, our clubhouse rooms with our role plays, that'd be a really good one for that. And uh, who says we can't, we can't do that type of a thing. So Brittany, I'd be interested in, there's a couple, you know, very specific techniques that you can do and things that you should focus on. And I think the, the most important thing I'll say is, is stay curious. Just be curious throughout the conversation. Ask questions. The thing you want to stay away from is don't ask the question why. If And that's going to that might be the hardest one because it's so natural for us. Don't ask the question why. That's what'll get you. That's what'll get you thrown out of the room because that invokes defensiveness, and it invokes guilt in the other person. So do not say why. Any why question can be turned into a what question. You know, why did you cut down that tree? Versus, um, what what made that particular tree the best one to cut down? It's just a, a different way of phrasing it. And you can tell I'm looking at trees, which is why that came to came to the front of mind. Uh, the other thing in, in, in terms of refraining from being accusatory is mention, um, just say, you know, it, it looks like, right. It looks like X, Y, Z, or it sounds like you may have, or, and, or ask just questions. What happens if, 
So those are different things you can do. If you're really going to start to hammer them on something, Brittany, if you're really going to bring up a, a something that's really tough, do and you've you've um, you, you've heard it a little bit from from me, and I think Trip has done it a couple times in the in the past room where we kind of say what we're going to do, so it doesn't so the thought process of the audience isn't on on the aura that we're spiking, but rather on the content. So I, I know I've said it in terms of um, I'm going to be a bit of a contrarian here. Um, uh, I, I think Trip said I'm going to I'm going to really. Th- throw everyone's perspective off or something to that, to that effect. But that's something you can do. You, Brittany, you can also go in and say, if it's, if it, you can say, here, here, here's, here's what you do, Brittany, is anything that you think that they're going to be thinking about you that's negative, just get it out there. Just get it out there. You know, you're going to think I haven't thought about this. You're going to think that I've disregarded all of your expertises get just get everything everything negative that they're going to think out there you're going to think that i don't have enough experience in this area to be speaking up on the matter anything negative because if you don't they're going to be thinking it anyway they're not going to hear your message and they're going to be biased towards their feeling and their thought and the aura that they feel that you're giving off and however they feel slighted rather than problem solving so you're turn what you're doing is you're turning them into def- you're turning them from defensive mode and you're turning them into helpful mode and into problem solving. You're getting them to think more. You're getting the negative thoughts out. When we think negative thoughts, it kills our ability to problem solve. When we think positive thoughts, it spark it, it provides sparks to our ability to problem solve. So get all the negative things out. And, and Brittany, this is going to be uncomfortable. It's the reason they're called uncomfortable conversations. Every single thing I'm telling you to do is going to feel awkward and crazy and uncomfortable. But I guarantee you, they won't know the difference. They're not going to feel the uncomfortable and the awkwardness that you do. All they're going to see is you leading an effective conversation better to a place, to a place better, a lot better than they expected it to go in the first place. Thanks for that, Jeremy. Trip, I want to go to you next because as I'm listening to Brittany's situation, I'm thinking not only has Trip been here, but he's been here more than once. So how would you deal with this? Yeah, I want to ask Brittany a question. Is the problem with one of the employees has a problem with you personally, or do they have a problem with your project? Brittany? They have a problem with the project. I don't believe there's any problem with me personally or any of my team members. Um, but they have a pattern of behavior with their coworkers and a problem with the project. They don't want it to go forward. The, okay. So if that's the case, one of the things I would ask them some questions, uh, observational questions. Look, I've noticed this about what's going on now. Has there been other times when we've had similar kinds of situations that similar things occur? I would try to draw them into a conversation about their observations before you share yours. Because 90% of the time or 80% of the time, somebody that you're talking to will have noticed some of these things, but can't language it correctly yet. It's kind of intuitive. They're observing, but they're not really there. And one of the ways to get them on you on their side of the table is kind of ask them, look, what have you seen? Have you noticed some of these things? I'm, I'm noticing a number of checkpoints that I normally would see falling in line. They're not right now. Wondering if you've noticed that and if you've seen this happen before. And, 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 and if, it, if it has, what have you done in the past? I would, I would try to have them own this challenge as long as I could. 
<laughs> versus shifting the weight to me to be able to try to say, here's, I'm very, I'm a good tap dancer. Let's tap dance. That's not what I want to do with them. I would really like to have them make some observations to see maybe that you're not seeing it the same way they are. And then probe those observations a little bit without being defensive. You know, it's interesting you said that. I, I just wonder, have we seen this before? Have you ever thought about the fact that there's certain things that are slowing the momentum of the, of the, pro, the project right now? Do you, do you think the project has changed as a priority for your company? You know, I'm, I'm looking for some generalized questions off the top of my head that's going to allow them to own it and also allow for them to observe it maybe for the first time. So if you frame it, the word Jerry was looking for me earlier when I was thrown off in technology hell, uh, was framing. The way you frame it would be asking questions about the circumstances and what's going on, not even involving you, just looking at being one of the people in charge of the project, an observation, what a project manager might say to his, 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 his executive stakeholder, just wondering what you're doing. Take it out of the uh, me and them, but take it on, we're all together on this kind of a project. And ultimately, the other part of this is what you'll find a lot of times if there's resistance, which is normal in organizations, is once they start to see there's resistance, many of your senior stakeholders may get on your side to help push through the resistance knowing it's there and they know that you're here temporarily. And that's how I say that. This uh, is being there forever as a forever consultant. Um, but the whole idea behind that is I'm going to try to shift it to them as much as I can. I will not take ownership of this until I have to. And in many cases, you won't have to. They will work through this if you do this accurately and, and, and you do a little fore planning with it. You'll have some questions available to you to ask about it. But let them make the observation and see if they notice it too, because they may be seeing the same thing. And they don't trust their eyes. They, they may have a bias, you know, uh, especially if you're in a, a family-led business or a mid-sized company. They may have certain biases that they have about certain people's performance. They just don't want to voice them in a, in a public forum, obviously. Or if it's a senior person, they don't want to voice it. But if they're the champion, which is what you want to try to have the conversation with, is kind of ask them to take you under their uh, uh, wing. And, and what are you seeing? I'm kind of interested. Um, uh, I get really small. <laughs> I can get really, really small uh, with my clients. And, and now, obviously, that's not the reason they hire me. But it is a reason that allows me to let them see the picture, let them see that landscape, let them see that visual, uh, let them come to some of their own conclusions and, and, and ask them, what do you think that means? You know, don't don't let them off the hook once they say, well, I think there's a real issue here. Actually, what do you think that means? You see how I'm taking it? And, and making a very lack. Um, and, and I always have that personality that I'm, I'm more than willing to retreat uh, from a situation to let the, the company or my client own the situation. Because that means they will also help me create the solution for the situation because they also, we co-own it. Is that helpful? Yes, that is helpful. I was planning on just kind of delivering the bad news um, you know, this morning it was lots of questions with this troubled manager, but I hadn't really considered with the executives now, it needs to be lots and lots of open questions to kind of let them come to the conclusion. And then maybe I can undergird that with some of the truth of what I've been able to under uncover. Thank you. I appreciate it. And Linda, Ann, I'd love you to jump in here and share some of your experience or advice. 
I would I would say very, very similar to what Tripp said, because my first instinct was to, you know, do you have the ability to go ahead and take that coaching stance where you can coach them through the process of coming to that conclusion without you having to deliver it? So um, because they need to they need to own that decision, right? You giving them the advice just on hand is it, there's always going to be some kind of, um, from my perspective, more than likely a negative um, response to when you just deliver that. But when they come to it as well, that's kind of like they're the only viable real option for them. Um, and they've come to that conclusion themselves, then not only is it a valuable decision and action for them to take but you just increased your value to them so i think that's exactly the way to go is to um coach them to come to that decision that's Thanks, how does that yes yeah, so no server now i was just going to ask you how does that ring for you yeah yeah i love it um yeah i'm i'm willing to go that direction and that feels uh much more doable than just dropping the bomb and letting things fall where they fall uh, probably a good, good plan here, Jeremy, and then we'll go to you, Angelo. Yeah, I'm going to do a bit of a commercial here. And any anyone that if you're in an organization and you have managers that are struggling for uh, how how to have these conversations, and manager training is lacking in terms of how to have these either tough conversations or even the things that that Brittany was managing, or even if your 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 CEOs are having a tough time. Well, with getting their message out, these are these are things that we can be contacted about. And um, I know Trip. I know you mentioned you have this big project going on, and you're in Taiwan or you're flying to Taiwan. I don't know what your availability is, um, but Tom works with people. Tom, give us. I'm gonna. So I, of course, work on the negotiation skills aspect and the employee communication skills. And um, Tom, real quick, let's let's hear. Um, you know, what's your forte when working with CEOs and, and helping people find their voice? Well, I really work with the the CEOs on making sure that they are, well, I guess you could call them masters of communication, uh, that they know how to use things like speed of speech, pausing, phrasing, volume, tone, to reinforce the message and to open those chains of communication so that the person you're speaking with, whether it's an individual or an audience, they're actually absorbing the message and you can actually get that message across. So it's a combination of many things, including the, the voice as well. But that's basically what I do. And, and building people's confidence in using their speaking voice. Um, so thank you very much, Jeremy, for that plug. And yes, you, you can contact me for coaching. Uh, Angela, let's go to you now. Uh, advice for Brittany. Yeah, well, while I think about this, I think I love the idea of, you know, framing the question, having observational, um, you know, observations and asking them and really pulling the answers out of them and helping to develop, right, helping your clients develop their own solutions in some ways. And when I think about this, it brings me back to something I read from Glenn Singleton in Courageous Conversations. And he has this compass where he talks about you know, people act, or in this case, they don't act based on four main reasons. And some of those would be like intellectual. So if you're thinking back with this um, specific person who's kind of being a barrier to the project, trying to identify what the framework that they're working from that landed them in that spot. So intellectual kind of thinking, logistics, is there some sort of data? Is there something logistically in the way that 
is preventing them from wanting to move forward? Is it that relational or that acting piece, right? Has this happened before? Has this been a failed attempt in the past? Or does it just remind them, right? Is it emotional? Do they just have a feeling about it where they're saying, you know, it reminds me of this previously and I'm just, whether they know it or not, they have some of that internal bias um, against it. And that's what's bringing up the resistance or maybe it's just moral. They just believe that this is a bad project and there's really no, there's no supporting data. There's no supporting events. Um, and I, I feel like identifying some of those pieces, right? Is it that intellectual, logical? Are they relating to this in a different way? Do they just have a bias emotion or is it just something they believe to be true? And then kind of working back from that and saying, okay, right? You, you mentioned, you know, the logistics of this plan may not be ideal, but what would be ideal? Or it reminds you of a past event. Well, you know, what was previously said, how, how had that worked out in the past? Um, and then again, right, allowing them to own those responses. Thanks very much for that, uh, Angelo. Uh, Jeremy, I wanted to ask you a question because we've given Brittany some really good advice on how to have this difficult conversation. But, you know, one of the conversations we've had in the past with, you know, both of us focusing on communication is that in the midst of this chat, there's going to be signals that are going to be sent back and forth. And you can really get a read on how the conversation is going. So can you jump in and talk a little bit about, you know, reading the body language, reading the tone of voice, and if you start to sense objections, how do you deal with them? Or on the opposite side, if you start to see a positive influence in this discussion, how do you continue to bolster that and build it? So I think it really comes down to these communication signals that are going to be flying around the room during this conversation. Yeah, so how to tell when there might be some objections and in, in reading that body language. One thing, our, we're so keen, even if not on a, an outward cognitive level, that we can sense it and, and hone in on it. But we know that, you know, even slight um, deviations in the, the creases in, in, in one's eyes or the pupils dilating, we can sense so much and read, but, but we don't realize it. But that's how our brains just operate on this under underlying level so quickly when we interact with people. And one thing that we can do, especially if we're paying more attention and we can see these things happening. Even if you mention someone something and someone tilts their head to the left and their eyes go downward. All right. You can probably sense a little bit of derision there. You can sense a little bit of maybe somebody feels slighted. And one thing that you can do with that is take this response cycle and work it backwards. So you have an event, which is what you said. They think something, then they feel something, and then they tilted their head and then they, you know, they, uh, they put their eyes down. So now you can say, okay. So you can say just very specifically, hey, I noticed that when I mentioned that you're, you're, you tilted your head to the right and you looked at, at the ground. What was the, what was the feeling behind that? And then you can, you know, they might say, well, you know, you know, I felt slighted. Um, you can go to what caused that, you know, what caused that particular feeling? Uh, what happened that, that caused that thought. So there's different questions and different what questions that you can ask to bring that out. And then you can do two things based on their response. You can either apologize or you can provide them with an honest perspective or a reason 
for um, the the event for whatever you said, and you know maybe their perspective is is incorrect. And an example of this, uh, an example of this in the workplace would be what if two people work on a pre. Let's say that uh, you're a manager and, and with one of your staff, your staff you know, put this project together, put this presentation together, and they did the bulk of the work, and it's time to give the presentation in front of, of course, a bunch of important people, but the staff, the staffer has very little to say during the presentation. And it seems like the managers are getting all the credit and they walk out. The manager says, Hey, that went really good. And the, and the staffer, maybe the staffer does what we said, looks down to the right and tilts the head. That can be very simple. Hey, I noticed when I said that, you, and yes, does it sound awkward? Does it sound uncanny? Of course it does. But here's the question, everyone. Is it better than what we've been doing? Is it more effective than just letting it go or saying what's wrong, right? How many times we've we been in relate personal relationships? What's wrong? Nothing. I'm fine. What's wrong? Nothing. I'm fine. And how effective are we in those particular situations? So yes, something might be awkward. We're social beings, but we're not, not naturally good social communicators. So back to the example, what happened? You know, what's the thought behind that? What caused that emotion? Well, I felt slighted. Because we did all this work, but it seems like you just took all, and this is of course perfect world, but and it seems like you took all, all of the credit and I worked really hard on it. You spoke the entire time and I basically said nothing. So there's two things that can happen. It can be, oh, look, I'm sorry. I just got overexcited. I completely apologize. Or it could be, hey, when we were working together on this for the past three months, oh, yes, you you did the bulk of the work. I heard you when you said that you were very nervous and you didn't want to speak in front of anyone and you were afraid that you would mess up in front of these very important people. So I thought I was doing you a favor by, by taking the, 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 the brunt of the presentation. And then, it can, and then it can be an apology. But at that point, now you're getting past two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, five months of feeling slighted and having that film of tension between the two of you forevermore. Because you were able to very specifically notice the body language, point it out, what was the thought behind that feeling, what was the emotion behind that behavior, and get, you know, get it out there. Because at least then it's the, the, the staffer might say, oh, you know, my boss had the best of intentions. You know, you big dumb animal, you big lug. It's the same thing. And that the personal example, which I love this example, I love to share this particular example. Let's say that you're plan like you know let, let's say um you're planning a, a vacation for let, let's say that tom let's say you know you're planning a vacation for your spouse and you overhear that let's say your wife wants to go to um you overhear that she wants to go to nashville tennessee so you get tickets and you surprise her hey i got tickets to nashville tennessee for our yearly vacation we're going to nashville tennessee isn't it going to be great she does the behavior she feels slighted you could do the what's wrong, nothing, I'm fine, what's wrong, nothing, I'm fine. Or you could work this response cycle. I noticed you did this. What's the thought behind that? And it's very simple. I feel slighted because you know I want to go to a tropical location with you. And then you say, look, either I'm sorry or I overheard you talking to your friends on the phone about how awesome it would be to go to Nashville. I thought I would surprise you. And she says, no, you big dumb animal. I want to go to Nashville with my girlfriends. I don't want to go with you. I want to go to a nice tropical location with you. So now you have this, uh, you have, you know, uh, this film of tension 
can be released now simply by doing the uncomfortable and calling out the behavior that you see and being effective and leading that conversation with questions, with appropriate questions, not why did you look down because then it's defensive, but what caused that? What happened to X, Y, Z? And that's how we can be a little bit more effective is being more uncomfortable ourselves. And believe me, it's uncomfortable once, maybe twice, but after a while, it just becomes how you communicate. People understand that that's how you communicate and they appreciate that you're effective and trying to be effective for them. So, Brittany, <laughs> there's been a lot coming at you in the last few minutes. Uh, how much of this is ringing true or has given you some insights into what you might implement for this tough conversation? Yeah, I, I think the biggest shift for me has been, you know, I thought the time for questions was over. I found the truth that I thought was there and I was going to, yeah, take it to the executives and see how it all landed. But everyone indicated that's not my role. Instead, I need to be asking more questions to the executives and see if I can't take them to that truth. And, and let me just ask you on a uh, personal side, how much do you, are you influenced by things like body language or perhaps shifts in tone of voice? So the executive team is, I've been working with them for eight months now, and they're very used to me calling them out and asking them what was behind that elbow move or what was behind you clearing your voice. So I think they'll be fine with me doing that in this meeting as well. That, that kind of stuff I find fun uh, and useful when interacting in tough conversations. <laughs> I have a feeling you could walk in tomorrow and they're all sitting on their hands. <laughs> a trip, let's go to you. You know, one of the things, Brittany, one more thing uh, that I think is interesting that could tie all of it together is positioning this as a developmental opportunity. So when you're asking these questions, ask it out of the fact that you're trying to help somebody improve their performances. I think all of us don't do that enough. You know, we, we have a, a point of view and we're, we're going to move forward with it. One of the fallbacks I, I tend to think is helping people better understand in that early stage of the contract with them that part of your job is to develop everybody you're working on the team with. Take it out of that individual performance piece and move it into a developmental um, uh, assignment and you'll get a lot more positive response. It'll also allow for you to get some what I call check-ins throughout that process. One of the things I do in my coaching process a lot of times will be you know, quarterly check-ins with all the people who are evaluating my, my client. You know, so if the executive has decided he wanted to change a particular behavior, well, we check in with people every, every quarter. But it also gives me an ability to have a personal relationship with them so that I'm not just impacting that individual. It takes the, the, that, that off them and allows it to move into a much more developmental relationship, which also allows people to tell me more candidly sometimes what they're thinking about what's going on. Because if you say, oh, it's about helping them improve, people want to tell you if you say it could be about uh releasing them from their job it's a whole different response right so just consider if you're if you're looking for another final thought on this is how do we make this into and it sounds like you've already done some of that with your other relationships with people so just take advantage of that developmental element of what we're talking about thanks very much for that trip um Brittany, anything else we can help you with here in this conversation uh, no, I am humbled and so thankful. I can't believe you guys all spent this long on it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. 
Oh, you're very welcome. And Jeremy, I did see your hand up. Did you have another thought? I was just going to mention to, to Brittany and to everyone, you, you know, use your own charm, wit and charisma, you know, make, make what, make this your own, make it organic per the situation um, to make sure that uh, it's, it's impactful with other people. And, you know, Brittany, you're uh, you've got such a great aura about you. And like you said, I think however you say it, whether you say what was behind that head nod, or I noticed a little head nod there. There, there there's, you know, insert your own um, personality uh, behind these things and they'll, they'll feel even less comfortable and they can start to break the, you know, break, break the ice, I guess a little bit. And uh, I wrote down what, what Tripp said here, get people to tell you more candidly. And I think that might help with, with that as well. Uh, Jeremy, we only got a couple of minutes left and, as we're having this discussion, here's the thought that pops into my head. Can we take this too far? If Is there a danger of landing in a position where we're known in the organization as the tough conversation person, and every time someone sees us walking down the hallway, they turn and run in the other direction? Only when people start to hate feeling heard and understood. That, that was the most succinct comeback I think I've ever had from you. Um, uh, Linda Ann, um, any, any experiences here with, you know, ha, have you always found these tough conversations beneficial or have they sometimes not worked? Um, I think they're always beneficial that whether they actually work or not, you know, so I think that that's, um, it's, it's never better to not have them. Um, so I, I think on that level, it's always beneficial to have have them. But I understand what you were saying about kind of, you know, being the, the grim reaper kind of uh, person that nobody wants to be invited into your office kind of thing. And I was very, very conscious of that um, in some of my other positions. And so I would always make sure that I included the the balance, having the other kinds of conversations just on purpose so that that there was not that perception of, oh you only go to her office if there's bad news you know um so you have to be really conscious of of that perception of yourself and the situation and make sure you do the things that that counter it thank you very much for that and and trip one last question oh we lost trip all right angelo you get the question have you ever gone into a meeting and purposely kicked the hornet's nest <laughs> uh yeah um and and i think you know there there's obviously leading events and there was you know i'm thinking of a particular time i had two employees working with each other and they had worked together for years and for whatever reason it just their relationship started to deteriorate started to impact the work started to impact the way that they work with each other you know so it didn't I intentionally, and it was kind of forced my hand as far as, hey, this has to be, you know, brought up. We have to sit down and have this difficult conversation and we have to go through, right? What are some of the background nuances that are leading to this deterioration in the work, in the workplace? And um, I mean, it, it's not, it's not always easy. It's not always something you're looking forward to, but it really is like pulling off that bandaid. You know, once, once you get that out there, and you, you know, I would even preface it sometimes by saying, you know, these conversations can be difficult, but the purpose of having a difficult conversation is to have easier ones in the future. 
And then, you know, I really like the idea of the developmental opportunity that, you know, Trip mentioned there because, that, you know, that's ultimately our goal as well, right? To, to build and to keep moving forward and to learn from some of these things and, you know, teach the skills so that we don't always have to keep doing these, right? So in, the, in some way, it's working ourselves out of a job and, and that's, that's success sometimes. Yeah, very well said. Uh, and I see we're at the top of the hour. So, Jeremy, I'm going to throw it back to you for the wrap. Uh, but quickly, a, a invitation that if, you know, please join us again next week for these two hours. And if you're available an hour earlier, uh, come join Jeremy and myself, Sharon McLean. We're going to be having a conversation with a, an economist, uh, Robert McGarvey. And I think there's, from my discussions I've had with him so far, I think there's going to be a lot of interest in, in what he has to say with the IO community. And with that, Jeremy, back to you. Yes, that's right. So next week, yeah, our, um, our room starts at 1230 Eastern time because we need to give time for that event. So that event's at 11 o'clock uh, a.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can get tickets there, free tickets vcmastery.com vcmastery.com for that event with robert mcgarvey and our that runs from 11 to 12 eastern but we usually go over a little bit with questions so our deep dive for io psychology series starts at 12 30 and then our uh, employee communication and negotiation this room will start a half hour later at 1 30 so tom thank you for wow time flies for bringing that up. I will end by saying it's perfectly okay to kick the hornet's nest. Just give people the beekeepers suit before you do it. And all you have to do is say, you're going to think I'm kicking the hornet's nest. You're going to think that I'm creating problems where there are no problems. And then you can kick the hornet's nest and they won't think anything of it because you've already got that negative thought out of their head and you've prepared them for it. So I'll end it with that. Beautiful discussion, everyone. Love it. Everyone, well done. We'll keep going next week with our other topics. And please feel free. I've been noticing a lot of really good back-end communications, people bringing people into the group, people asking some great questions. Oh, and I wanted to share really quick. Heather mentioned these two books. Um, there's two books, two or three books. Um, Micro Shifts by Gary Jensen. Microshifts by Gary Jensen. Uh, another one is The 12-Week Year by Jay Warner Wallace. The 12-Week Year by Jay Warner Wallace. And the other one is called I Could Do Anything If I Only Knew What It Was by Barbara Sher. S-H-E-R. I Could Do Anything If I Only Knew What It Was by Barbara Sher. And this was when we were talking about how 15 minutes a day um, amounts to about two weeks per year. And we're talking about these, these 1%, uh, what, what can you do with 1% of your day? So that's where the idea for these books. So Heather, thank you so much. Uh, kudos for suggesting those books on the back channel. Closing the room in five, four, three, two, and one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Work Cookie, a Seabock podcast. Don't forget to sign up at seabock.com. That's S-E-B-O-C.com to engage with our community, gain a sense of belonging, access our other media, and get rapid advice from experts. Would it be a bad idea to make your most challenging workplace problems go away? Don't forget to check out our corporate, career boost, recruiter, and even student memberships at seabock.com. <laughs>